Welcome to the last in the series of the Cloth Cultures podcast for the British Textile Biennial with me, Amber Butchart. Throughout this series and an accompanying exhibition at the Howarth Art Gallery, I'm exploring movement, migration and making through cloth, using pieces found in the Gawthorpe textile collection to tell the stories behind what we wear. Focusing on four fabrics, silk, linen, wool and cotton, I'm investigating the global strands of local stories that link Lancashire, at the heart of the textile industry in Britain, to areas throughout Europe, Asia, Africa and the Americas. Chintz fabric, printed or painted stylized florals on cotton, has become associated with traditional English country house style, but its origins are much more international. An example in the Gawthorpe collection is a skirt that was made in India in the 18th century for the European market. Chintz was the product of Indian handcrafts, and knowledge of dyes was much more sophisticated than techniques in Europe. The earliest traders asked chintz makers to modify their designs to suit European palettes, which could also involve taking inspiration from Chinese textiles too. Glazed chintz became hugely fashionable in countries such as Britain and the Netherlands throughout the 17th and 18th centuries. The East India Company was the driving force behind this, first through trade and then by setting up their own factories throughout India. We can draw a thread from the East India Company directly to the formation of the British Raj, colonial rule in India that was established in the middle of the 19th century. Cotton became a major factor in the ensuing drive for independence. Dr Barty Palmer is an artist and academic who explores these histories in her work. My name is Barty Palmer. I'm an artist and I make art informed by varied interests in material culture studies, the Rajan Empire, pattern, graphics and British history. I trained in printmaking at the Royal College of Art in London and I have a PhD in Victorian studies. And my studio practice is wide ranging from object making, drawing, painting and textiles. Uh, fundamentally, I'm concerned with the vernacular and high and low art and craft. And I'm also co-editor of volume four, Colour, of the Bloomsbury Encyclopedia of World Textiles. I began by asking Barty about Caddy cloth and its place in the home rule movement in India. Caddy has a really important place in the Swadeshi or the home rule movement in India. And Swadeshi was the Indian's Indian independence campaign. So Swa, S-W-A, means oneself, and Desi, D-E-S-I, refers to the country. So it was a movement about spinning one's cloth. But much more than that, it was an ideology of the dignity of hand labour. And the movement actually originated well before Indian independence in 1947. And... Um, I want to describe a particular event which heightened anti-colonial sentiments. Um, the East India Company exported muslin to Europe, but by 1857 they conspired and crushed the local cloth industry by cutting the thumbs of spinners 
who spun fine muslin to make way for English cloth, which was not as fine. So that, that's an example of barbarism that you know Indian um, spinners were punished for making uh, beautiful cloth. Uh, during colonial rule, um, Indians were forced to buy cloth at an in artificial inflated price. So the raw material from India, the cotton, uh, was finished in UK mills, such as in Blackburn, then sold back to India at this huge cost. Um, the first piece of hand-woven cloth was woven at Sabamati Ashram in Ahmedabad in 1917. And the choka, or the chakri, which is the wheel, the spinning wheel, a stylized symbol of that is on the Indian independent flag. And we can see that today. And this is the reason why Khadi is so central to the idea of Indian nationalism. And I have a personal interest in this subject because Gandhi was from Gujarat, which is a state in India, and I am Gujarati myself. And my father is an immigrant from Gujarat who came to work in the textile mills in the early 1960s. Can you tell me about the work you're creating for the British Textile Biennial this year? I've been commissioned by the British Textile Biennial to make a piece of work called Caddy. And that responds to the presentation of the, of the history of the cotton industry in Blackburn Museum. And Caddy's Spelling is K-H-A-D-I, and that has two meanings. Firstly, it's a homespun Indian cloth promoted by Gandhi as a protest about English rule in India. And secondly, it also refers to a thick cotton paper made by hand in India, like a watercolour paper. And caddy means cotton or fabric made from it. So what's important about this new work is that the caddy I've sourced is from Indian mills and made from black recycled t-shirts. So all good quality paper is from cotton, but this material is important to me because of its political content. So for a number of reasons, uh, firstly, because it's black in color. Black um, is a political term that I use because I'm a person of color and um, I'm Indian and because I, I'm deeply embedded and involved in the Black Lives Matter uh, debates that we are having at the moment. Uh, secondly, this material is, is really interesting because it's from garments which were probably from Europe, worn by European people. Uh, thirdly, they're recycled t-shirts, so there's that sustainability element to reflect on. Um, and finally, they're t-shirts worn on bodies, turned into paper, and returned back to the UK. So the themes are cloth and global connections, colonialisation, labour and fast fashion. So it's a three-part exhibition about cotton. Um, it's in the Victorian Watercolour, watercolour Gallery, uh, upstairs in Blackburn Museum and Art Gallery. And um, the audience will encounter a dimmed atmospheric space, at the centrepiece of which is two illuminated cabinets, and the cabinets will be illuminated um, like garment inspection tables that you would see in a factory. And these have been made by my cabinet maker, Plain Structure in Birmingham. And then also I've commissioned a calligrapher who will write museum style labels within the cabinets. And incidentally, her day job is uh, an AME doctor. And uh, she was talking about how she wanted to make 
labels which had some sort of human error within the writing so they weren't so stylized uh, and her expression was so they were living and breathing and I thought that's an interesting um, uh, uh, statement to make as somebody who's a, a medic. The cabinets will show my drawings, test samples and thinking about cotton, for example, how the cotton plant grows. Drawings of the mill owner's headquarters designed by Le Corbusier in 1951 in Ahmedabad, India, plans of the Sabarmati River. And this is the major river uh, in Ahmedabad where Gandhi had his ashram. And incidentally, it's also one of the most polluted rivers in India because of textile processing, um, textile production processes. Um, other images in the cabinet will be uh, the Rana Plaza garment factory, items from the existing collection of Blackburn Museum, and most importantly, Gandhi ephemera, such as um, I've managed to uh, find a period Indian postage stamp depicting a spinning wheel. Um, and cotton actually spun from such a wheel. And this is important because Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi, visited Darwin in 1931 after accepting an invitation from the Miloni Davis family. They wanted him to see for himself the hardship being suffered by the East Lancashire textile industry, which had been decimated by the Indian independence movement's boycott of British goods. And the Davis family were prominent Quakers, and they thought that Gandhi might understand the suffering of mill towns such as Bolton, Oldham, Blackburn, etc. And um, so he, he was, in fact, welcomed with open arms by the mill workers, and there were crowds who shouted three cheers for Mr Gandhi, hip hip. And uh, we, we've seen that photograph, which is going to be in our archive. Um, and so that, that's why Gandhi came. He came because the mill owners thought they could lobby him, whereas the mill workers were actually in support of him, despite the fact that it had a the boycott had a detrimental effect on, the, on their labour. So those are the cabinets. Second thing in the exhibition will be a series of drawings on the wall. And these are punched out caddy paper, which speak to jacquard loom cards, but also refer to the physical act of repetition, endurance, punching of holes, which can be seen as a metaphor of tension between the handmade and the mechanised production of textiles. And I've commissioned my research assistant, Rupi Dillon, to make a handmade book about the 1930s Indian cotton industry, as if Gandhi may have read it off that time. And then the final, final element of the exhibition is a film. And this is made in collaboration with Blackburn Bourne and award-winning filmmaker Seema Gosai. And it's a poetic film which weaves in elements such as my hands working, interspersed with documentary of my visits to the Blackburn archives, investigating Gandhi's visits uh, in newspapers. Uh, also an interview with a lady mayoress who has a photograph of her grandmother with Gandhi in 1931. And an interview with Seema, my filmmaker's father, who was a Hindu priest and a former textiles lecturer at Blackburn College. And also, we've visited the house where Gandhi stayed, which has a blue plaque, and also the Cotton Famine Road um, with Alan Warstorm, the secretary of the Woolymore Neighbourhood Association. So all those elements will be incorporated within the film. 
Can you tell me about some of the objects you'll be recontextualising from the collections in Blackburn Museum? So in the exhibition, I'll be recontextualising some of the objects from Blackburn Museum and Art Gallery. Um, it holds a really important collection of looms and spinning wheels and uh, weaving equipment. So I'm going to be uh, thinking about jacquard loom cards and thinking about punching, because if we think of loom cards, it's a very early form of computing, zeros and ones. And so there's a sort of parallel with that and the work of by hand. Um, I'll be incorporating some cotton, um, spinning out of paper wrappers uh, from the colonies and American plantations with handwritten labels. I'll, uh, this, this cotton is really important because um, I have found this fascinating drawing of um, how to get maximum yield of a cotton plant for the slave plantations. And so I um, recontextualise that through, through making a drawing on cutty paper. So it's um, imagery about cotton, on cotton, about cotton. Um, it, it's a story. Why do you think textiles can tell such powerful stories? Textiles has the ability to tell really powerful stories. A really good example is the American artist Anne Hamilton, whose work I'm really interested in as an artist uh, myself. And she writes that textiles are the body's first house, the body's first architecture, and also the last, the shroud. So we're intimately connected with cloth and the way it touches our bodies and how it, how it stimulates memories. And the purpose of this, this project, Caddy, at Blackburn Museum and Art Gallery, is to weave together stories of textiles, human histories and political movements, combined with how we exhibit them in museums and how we can interpret and understand them in new ways through contemporary art. Do we see a legacy of British imperialism today in the fashion industry? Celine Seman of the Slow Factory, which is an anti-racist social impact organisation in America, she has some really interesting reflections. Uh, so she describes how, for example, we extract resources from the global south, such as cotton, pesticides, dyes, and how we exploit labour, cons consistently searching for maximum profit, leading to poverty level wages, and then these are sold to the global north. So I quote from Celine Seman, in other words, the same routes that Europeans use to transport cheap sugar and coffee are the routes being used today to bring cheap fashion to Western consumers. And I think that's a really powerful statement. Um, and another way to think about um, the impact of imperialism on fashion is to think about fashion's influence on centralising culture, uh, particularly Western standards of beauty. So if we think about skin whitening, modelling, the ideal form. So West, Western beauty standards exist today, both in the UK and in other countries, which have a colonial legacy, such as India. So examples include negative perceptions of dark skin, which lead to practices of skin whitening, and a lack of representation of models of colour in magazines. So the norm that society compares itself to is considered to be a white, thin body, and that talks back to the image of the colonial oppressor. Cotton caddy cloth was a key part of the Swadeshi movement. 
And we see cotton used in activism in other areas too. In the American South, poor quality but durable cotton cloth was often used to clothe enslaved Africans working on cotton plantations. Denim fabric was dyed with indigo, a plant that was also previously harvested using enslaved labour. Denim was later associated with sharecroppers' clothing, after emancipation but when black African Americans were still forced to live in poverty. This association was subverted by some in the civil rights movement of the 1960s. New generations of storytellers are incorporating these histories into their work. So my name is Tiwi and I am a fashion photographer and stylist. Um, I recently graduated um, from Yukon University studying fashion promotion with styling um, and decided to just kind of take that into um, freelance world as well. Can you tell me about the exhibition and project you're working on for the British Textile Biennial? The project in itself is a visual exploration of you know, the modern day fight for civil rights following the Black Lives Matter movement of 2020. So the movement has really been going on way before 2020 and all of the protests and, you know, the George Floyd um, situation. Um, but, you know, I feel like everyone's eyes were really on um, the movement because everyone was at home really and truly, which kind of gave it a little bit more force a little bit more drive um, and a little bit more power to reach the world instead of just, you know, America or the UK. Um, Yeah, so we're focusing on young people and how young people have really been, you know, the main driving force for the movement um, in terms of pushing it on social media and making sure that voices were heard from all aspects of, you know, the cause. So yeah, I will be creating a photography series, um, just a series of images really showcasing young people and also denim and um, in its in all its glory, you know, vintage denim. We've got a few pieces loaned, um, which is going to be amazing um, just to get on photos. Um, and it's going to be staged in Blackburn as well um, around the city. So that's really exciting. So yeah, so we're going to be um, sourcing the denim from um, local sources. So thrift shops, um, charity shops, um, and a few denim pieces have been loaned to us as well. Um, Like, you know, vintage Levi's, you know, all the classics, um, just to kind of pay homage to, you know, how denim kind of lasts throughout time, as well as, you know, how powerful you know black people are and how powerful we can be through protest using denim as well what's the significance of denim for the civil rights movement in america right so denim was um referred to as negro clothing and it was in america mainly that um, black people were identified to as um negroes based on the clothing they wore the workwear they wore which was the denim um so i think it is it is super significant. It is super significant to the movement over there, um, hundred percent, because it definitely symbolizes, you know, that their identity and where they have come from in terms of how far they've come, um, as well. What does denim signify in the images you're creating? 
I've in terms of my styling work, I've approached it a little bit differently. So I'm I've been able to kind of still stick with the fact that, you know, denim was definitely a part of our, our identity. And it kind of still is a part of everyone's identity because everyone wears denim from jeans to your jean jackets. Um, and I wanted to kind of make it cool and kind of relate it more to this time as well as paying homage to, you know, like the 60s and how we had, you know, Martin Luther King walking down the streets in denim jeans, um, perfectly, you know, covering his shoes and all of this kind of stuff like I wanted to really pay homage to that but still very much make it relevant to like Gen Z and their style and their take on life right now and the fact that they're so fearless with it so I've been reading a lot um I'm not really a person that likes to read a lot um but I've been reading a lot of articles and really kind of looking into all of these different aspects and all of the people that had a part to play in terms of you know the movement in itself um like civil rights um throughout the um years if you know what I mean um and I've also I really like um visual art so just anything visual has been helping me definitely with the process of creating an, a, a vision for it if you know what I mean so that I can really portray it in the way that it needs to be portrayed to the people and in a more digestible way as well so um just following my research that I um did like you know leading up to creating this project um I found that denim turned into a sense of identity it all it also like it signified or like portrayed what you know um negro clothing or like should i say um would have been um in like the 60s and um times before that as well so i feel like denim symbolizes you know our almost our skin like our our history it it symbolizes you know who we were seen to be um in the past and who we can become also because it does last it's a fabric that lasts um and our heritage and our history also lasts and sticks with us and do you have a personal relationship with denim like before this is it something that you would often wear i used to always thrift denim i love like denim jackets like that whole 90s style that is very me um I love like just the whole like people like Aaliyah or like Tupac who used to wear like denim dungarees and the denim jackets with like really oversized like that baggy look like that was my look for the most part of my life because <laughs> I really loved it um but yeah like it's so crazy because like before this project I didn't really understand how important denim was and I didn't really understand how significant it was but just doing the research it made me kind of open my eyes to that and kind of um yeah like really take it seriously if you know what I mean like if there's a protest for Black Lives Matter tomorrow 100% I'm wearing denim everything. (laughs) How do you think clothing can be a tool for activism? I think we see that every single year um I think on the runways we see you know Vivian Westwood with her protest um clothing like we see protest and um activism 
like used within fashion on a daily basis you know it's used to um it's used to showcase identity whether you know you are you know from the punk era or you know you you're considered a goth or um you're considered a hipster all of this kind of stuff all of these errors were errors of activism in a way if you know what i mean so i feel like this is still something that is very um relevant and we do use um clothing as a tool for activism activism on a daily basis and so do you think that this research and this interest in the link between denim and protests and activism is this something that you'll take on with you into your future styling work 100 percent, 100 percent. i think my life like my work from before this um anyway was very much black focused um very much um in terms of like you know being a black British woman in um, Britain and, you know, that experience as well as having my heritage, um, like my African roots as well. Um, so I think just anything that pertains to like black people and the black experience, like I'm all for it and I like to put it into any work that I do. The work of young creatives like Tui is essential in the 21st century, bringing previously hidden stories out into public view, and her enthusiasm is infectious. When we start to unravel the beautiful chintz in the Gawthorpe collection, we can see the darkness behind the beauty, and we can start to understand the global legacy of the cotton industry that we still live with today. Thank you for joining me for the Cloth Cultures podcast, and I hope you've enjoyed this expedition through four fabrics, silk, linen, wool and cotton, illuminating just some of the stories that textiles can tell. Please do check out the British Textile Biennials commissions, exhibitions and events for much more on the stories behind what we wear. You can find them on Twitter at Textile Biennial and Facebook and Instagram at British Textile Biennial. Thanks for listening.